I have a really good feeling about this pronouns in bio. I actually think that this, because we know the subject matter. For the first time ever. For the first time ever. Actually, our first episode, I mean, we had just watched The Matrix. So I think that we, we set out well and then went down. That's true. There. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel like this one is just going to be like crisp and smooth, especially as like my recording booth is very softly lit. It's very like pronouns in bio. A recording nights. booth, is it? Well, you know, I'll I've got... I'll get you, bitch. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to this highly delayed episode of Pronouns in Bio. We are super sorry to be bringing this one to you behind time, especially to our beautiful, sexy... <laughs> I can't think of another word. What's another <laughs> word for our patrons? Um, oh no, you've put me on the spot. They're all right. They're all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking, you're the best. But can I just say a word in our defense? Yeah. I had a cold, okay, for like the first time in 18 months and it took me the fuck out. If y'all haven't had your first post-COVID cold yet, let me tell you. It's coming for you and it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> that shit is... It's real. And uh, I'm, yeah. I'm just astonished at how much snot I produced. I was astonished. My driving instructor um, actually said to me, like, oh, I see you're still wearing a mask in the car with him. Mm. And he doesn't anymore. And, you know, like, whatever. It's fine. We keep the windows down. It surprises me he doesn't wear one. Well, he did when it was, I mean, I was going to say when it was bad, obviously, it's yeah. still bad. He did when it was mandatory. He is in like a very enclosed space with random people. Yeah. Anyway, my point is, I'm fine with him not wearing one. Like, I don't feel super distressed or anything, especially as I've booked in all his lessons. So I'm pretty much the only rando he sees. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. But he was mentioned the fact that I had a mask and I was like, yeah, I had my first pandemic cold like a, a little while ago. Mm. And it was, it was bad. It's but bad. also I was like, I used to get colds all the time, especially when I worked in an office because, you know, the air con would just be pumping out those oh, bacteria. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And it is insane to me now in retrospect, that we used to just... We were just fine with that. We used to just routinely get sick because <laughs> we were, like, huffing on other people's, like, spit and phlegm and whatever. <laughs> and not even in, like, a consensual sexy way. Yeah, like, it would be kind of expected that you wouldn't take time off for a cold. But looking back, like, hell no. Like, yeah, you're sick well, and you, that's so contagious. Yeah, exactly. It would just be expected that, like, not only that you would get sick and then go into work or go on the bus or yeah, whatever, yeah. but that, like, there was a whole season. We have a whole seasonal idiom for <laughs> getting sick at work because the expectation is that you will go to work and get sick. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's absolutely... Anyway, so I said to Kevin, I'm never taking... Oh. I guess shout out to Kevin, my driving instructor, number <laughs> big up, one fan of this podcast. <laughs> big Kev, yeah. I fucking hope he doesn't listen to this podcast, you know. He has enough I to put up with already. I've, I've never met him, I know nothing about him, but I think it's highly unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll ask him next time I'm stalling for the third time on a busy A road. Anyway. Anyway. This isn't the Cars episode. 
No, stop talking about cars. My point is that I'm never taking my mask off again on public transport in yeah. crowded indoor spaces, etc., etc. But yes, we were sick. We went to a wedding. That was really, really nice. Oh, it was so nice. And that was really busy. Big ups, was... Megan Jake. Yeah, hi, Megan Jake. Hi, Megan Jake. We, we know that Megan Jake actually do listen, so hi. That's true. Hi, <laughs> Megan Jake. Megan Jake aren't our driving instructors, but they are married, so... <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's very nice we opened this trying to apologize to our listeners for delaying the episode and now we're fucking edging them with it <laughs> genuinely just like jacking them off <laughs> shall we shall we start yeah yeah well. what, what are we talking about today so today listeners we are talking about the wonderful world of stephanie mayer's twilight <laughs> It's shocking to me that we haven't done this already. It's finally happening, yeah. Honestly, it's been a good one to have in the tank for a time when we don't have the time to sit down and research an episode because we were just saying before the start of the episode proper that this is one of the few pronouns in bio where we do actually know what we're talking about. We started out strong with The Matrix because we had both just watched it before recording that episode and then we did another nine episodes with minimal research after that. <laughs> but it's cool so i was trying to remember i think it would be about two years ago now that we did a 10 hour twilight marathon yeah two years ago this summer i think yeah so we got a bunch of us together and we put it up on the projector and we got our snacks and we watched the first one to the last one straight through without any breaks mm. and it was fucking glorious it was honestly one of the best days of my life. It was so good. <laughs> and I don't want to speak for the newlywed Meg, but I'm pretty sure it was one of the best days of her life as well. She was there <laughs> yeah. and yeah. like you could just tell in that moment that that was going to be way better than getting married. So oh, if any yeah. of our listeners are at home listening to us talk nuptials and thinking, hey, that's me, I'm getting married, thinking about getting married... Maybe actually get married before you do a Twilight Marathon because the Twilight Marathon will put the wedding to fucking shame. <laughs> this is very true. This, it actually strikes me just now, and we didn't talk about this in prep. Mm. This is going to be two very different episodes for two <laughs> different sets of listeners. It's going to vary dramatically what you get out of this, depending on whether you got the Twilight-like well, we're going to do an overview for people that haven't read or seen them. I think they'll humour us. We did actually get a complaint about the last episode for it, including football. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we went a bit off brand, so apologies for that. Well, we're about to talk about baseball, so fuck those guys. <laughs> no, I, I suppose I mean, there is a certain extent to which Twilight is an experience that changes you if you if you came to it at the right time if you were the target audience at the time yeah exactly and you can get a lot out of it still now if you weren't but i genuinely think that there was like there it was a historical moment right and a hysterical one too and a <laughs> 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 yeah in the sense that it was funny but also in the sense that it was totally insane yeah it was a bit much <laughs> <laughs> But formative. Okay. Okay, should we try and do an overview for people that haven't seen or read it? Yeah, talk to us a bit about what Twilight is and what was going on. <laughs> okay. 
picture if you will. <laughs> well, I was going to say 2008, but I think that was the first movie. I don't actually know when the first book came out. Oh, it was well before then. Yeah. Oh, we're supposed to know our stuff for this episode. I know, we fuck. <laughs> I went over to my mate's house and she had a copy of New Moon in 2007. So it must have been earlier than that. 2005. All right, the first one came out in 2005. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Come with me into my mind palace as we reimagine 2005. There is a young, socially awkward, but pretty girl called Bella. And she moves to a new town to spend some time with her dad, who she hasn't spent much time with. And she starts her new school. And across the cafeteria, she sees Edward Cullen. I want to quote it, but I feel like I might fuck it up. (laughs) (laughs) About three things, I was absolutely positive. Oh, yes. First, Edward was a vampire. Second, there was a part of him, and I didn't know how potent that part might be, that thirsted for my blood. And third, I was unconditionally and irrevocably in love with him. Oh, boom. And then you had millions and millions of teenage girls also follow Bella down that same path. (laughs) It was crazy, right? Because like 2005 and particularly given a franchise that started in 2005, Mm. at this point, emo is barely hanging on as it starts to slip into scene and then twilight came out and just held out a hand to like (laughs) skinny ass goth boys who will ruin your life and was like i got you bro yeah absolutely and so yeah i guess the next four books are the kind of love story of bella and edward uh there's also werewolves in this story and bella has a kind of romantic fling with Jacob the werewolf in the second book and that ends up creating tension throughout the like pretty much all of the books Bella's just like absolutely horny to be turned into a vampire and Edward is like no she's absolutely gagging for it it's quite cringe um and Edward resists (laughs) until there's like a very convenient way for her to become a vampire which fits with Stephanie Meyer's Mormon beliefs where wait what what I've forgotten. Why does he turn her again? So what happens is... There's a baby and a wedding, and I can't remember which order they happen in, but it's the Mormon-approved way. Yeah, basically, Twilight has some not-so-subtle religious undercurrents, and they're particularly prominent when it comes to its handling of sexuality. So obviously... We've all read Dracula. If you haven't read Dracula, get out there and read it, you dimwit. Oh, it is great. It is so good. My point is... It's a readily understood literary trope that vampires are a metaphor for one or another aspect of sexuality. And the same is true in Twilight, where Edward's vampiric lust for Bella's blood Mm. configures, you know, a teenage boy's or a young man's sexual lust for a young woman and Mm -hmm. her desire for him puts... It is configured, you know, in the way that young women are exposed to danger in this way. We've talked a lot with our friends about how it's actually really kind of clear, Mm. if you think about it, why that would be so appealing to young women. 
there used to be a lot of talk at the time, and there even is now, about how like, oh, girls, you know, why do they like Edward Cullen, even though he wants to kill Bella? And it's, it's precisely because he is simultaneously motivated by lust for her, Mm-hmm. which is something that is often quite a beguiling force when you are like a young person figuring out your sexuality and particularly, you know, a young, air quotes, woman figuring out your sexuality because it's that feeling of being desired. But crucially, there is an awareness to the danger in Twilight and also Edward is like forced to make himself restrained. And like, even though he's this very dodgy, controlling influence, mm. the pitch of the book, at least, is that he feels this lust, but doesn't act on it. That's it, yeah. Actually, yeah, that is very attractive if you are a 15-year-old girl. Mm. The, sorry, I kind of went off topic there. How does Bella get vampirized? Religion, sex. You've seen them all before now. <laughs> <laughs> If you if you liked religion, you'll oh, love. Oh, I remember, sex. I remember the order it happens in. She, he proposed that they get married, right? Because like yes. he really wants to marry her, and she's like, "Ew, I don't want to marry you." And then she comes around, and uh, they get married, and then on their wedding night is the first time they have sex, and like Collins, you make the marriage because like as Cleo said, he's been resisting, you know, trying to protect her from how impossibly strong and stuff he is, but he decides to go kind of seed to her wishes and they consummate it on their wedding night and then she immediately gets pregnant with like the mutant baby from hell it's like a super fast growing vampire baby yeah yeah and it's like genuinely really disturbing uh and the movie goes like all out on that as well like it's really really haunting <laughs> shit and as she's like trying to carry this baby to term it is like slowly killing her because it's basically eating her from the inside out to sustain itself <laughs> Um, and so he, as she's dying, giving birth to the child, he turns her into a vampire. Yeah. Uh, and then you get a book right at the end of her being all cool and doing vampire shit, which is like the best book in my opinion. It's fucking wild and I love it. Yeah, yeah. It is like a surprisingly successful resolution of, as you say, the Mormon yeah. religious topos in this. And it's like, what is the one... It's funny, isn't it? Because we've got the vampirism as a figuration of sexuality, but we've also got them actually negotiating, like, sexuality, sexuality, and they do the marriage thing before sex, and then you're like, well, how do you have Bella legitimately vampirized Mm. without it being... Without it compromising who Edward is. Exactly, Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the only way is for her to, like, be dying, giving birth... To his baby. Yeah. It's it's grody as hell, but we can get into that later. It is absolutely like a culmination of that Mean Girls quote, which is like, do not have sex or you will get pregnant and die. And that's exactly what happens in the fourth book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It it literally does. It literally does happen. (laughs) It's so, it's like, it's such a roller coaster of emotions, though, because if you are reading the Twilight books as they're coming out in the noughties, and you get to the bit where Bella and Edward are going to bone, you know, people thought Fifty Shades was horny, but oh my God, is Twilight (laughs) horny. And when they get to it, like, there's so many descriptions of him having to, like, rein his vampire strength in and he's like smashing the bed and he like smashes the bed up and like tears all of the furniture up and like yeah no it's yeah it's pretty it's pretty hot pretty hot shit he's like i'm 
trying to hold still so he doesn't hurt her, but also he's really strong and passionate. And it genuinely, like, even, even just thinking about it now, I'm like, <laughs> say what hot. you like about Edward Cullen. <laughs> that man laid incredible pipe. <laughs> but then she does get pregnant with a baby that eats and from the inside out. So, yeah, yeah. No, no, not worth it. <laughs> so now that we've explained the key points of the plot of Twilight <laughs> to the audience, yeah, when did you first come to Twilight? What was your like contact point with it? I think it's quite funny. It's almost a bit like the teenage sexuality version of Where Were You on 9-11 in that everybody has it, but everyone's <laughs> a slightly different. And it fundamentally changed the landscape of American literature. <laughs> Oh, that was spicy. Um, <laughs> I, I distinctly remember uh, where I was when I first encountered Twilight and I was on a rainy caravan holiday in North Norfolk with my family. And one afternoon, my mum took us to the Waterstones in town and uh, bought us each a book. That was one of my favourite things to do as a kid was to like spend an hour or two in Waterstones and just like look at all of the pretty covers and pick everything up and like I'm very much a judge of book by its cover person I always have been Mm. and I think that's a legit way of finding new material Mm. and I saw the cover for Twilight on the shelf and it was so striking it's a completely black background with a single red apple and I just was really struck by that my my beating emo teenage heart was like astounded um and yeah, I, I picked it up and was like, oh yeah, I like vampires, sure. And I just fucking devoured it in like maybe a day. And I was like completely hooked on it and loved it so much. Uh, where were you when you first encountered Twilight? So first of all, I love that. I was going to be like nerd alert, but also <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah. I have the most 2007 memory for my first encounter with Twilight. So I was in college or high school, whatever you call it. So I was about 16, 17. And I had this friend with whom I was very, very close, who I, I, I don't actually know if she listens to the podcast or not. We have spoken recently. Shout out, Alice, if you listen to the podcast. If you don't, Hi, Alice. then... I hope you still like Twilight. I hope you... <laughs> <laughs> if you... <laughs> If you don't, then stop listening. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be really weird for her now. Like, this is, this is longer than it needs to be. If your name is Alice and you're not my childhood friend, but you're still enjoying this shout out, then like, you know, you do you. You buy into that. You enjoy that. Anyway, my point is, we were both insomniacs and we would stay up late talking to each other on, you know, MSN Messenger. Oh, yeah. And I think at least once, I think maybe a couple of times, I would walk to her house in like the very early hours of the morning. Mm -hmm. And it it was quite a long way. It it was four or five miles. Wow. That's impressive. I live bare far from college. I've cycled there and back. I must have been in the best shape of my life. Mm. So you like climbed in through her bedroom window in the dead of night and read Twilight together? Not quite, although I (laughs) fucking wish we'd done that. (laughs) Uh, I think if I'd done that with anyone at that age, we'd be married now. (laughs) I did climb in through a window. I remember 
her bedroom was at like the front of the house or something. And so rather than coming in the front door and waking people up, I like crept in through the front window. Mm-hmm. And I just have this incredibly vivid memory of us sitting on the floor and we're listening to Imogen Heap, Hide and mm-hmm. Seek. Mm-hmm. And I spot the cover of, I think it was New Moon. Yeah. Which is like, again, red flower, black background, very yeah. striking. And was like, that shit looks dope. And then the next time I saw it around in the college library, I was like, I'm having a gander at this. Whoever designed those covers, like, great job, honestly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they like, I don't know if it was like something that I just hadn't noticed before and Twilight made me notice it or if Twilight brought that kind of design, particularly for like young adult novels and romances into the mainstream. Mm. But it was hugely influential, right? Like, Yeah, no, it really was. I remember you saying to me the other day that like Fifty Shades then copied that. Yeah, it kind of made, paid homage to it, I think, with its, it was blue with like a tie. Yeah. Kind of simple design. But yeah, like for me, Twilight has always been bound up with that particular historical moment of like, I'm not grown up yet, but I'm abdicating childhood and still doing like funny little things like that don't really make sense in the adult world, like walking bare time and going in through people's windows and all sorts of things. But but also, you know, I'm tall now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking to myself as you were saying that, I was like, do I miss doing stuff like that? Because I used to do that stuff like that as well. And then I was just thinking, like, it just makes me feel tired <laughs> thinking mm. about it. I just don't have that kind of energy anymore. <laughs> there is just that age where you become like a little raccoon. Yeah, you just have like boundless stores of it. and Yeah, there's so many photos of me from that point in my youth where I'm like up a lamppost or on a roof or... Cleo, you still climb every single tree you come across. Yeah, but that's different. You that's are still na- doing that. <laughs> that's nature though, isn't it? Like... There are loads of photos of you up a tree in all of our photo albums. <laughs> that is true. Look, I will stress... I, I really remember... <laughs> I have a much more recent memory. This isn't from when I was 17. This is from when I was 27, if if not more recently. No, definitely more recent. Anyway, my point is, Mm. fuck, I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) I I was once on a walk with our friend, Sean, who... Sean's been on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With our friend and podcast guest, Mm -hmm. Sean. Go check out episode seven, eight, is it? Our Mean Girls episode. Yeah, probably. We were walking around the park and I was like, yeah, I'm going to climb that tree. Because you do, right? You go and climb the tree. Like, it's just, <laughs> why, why wouldn't you? We've been doing it for centuries. People <laughs> people love to get on Twitter.com and post return to monkey. Well, fucking do it then. <laughs> anyway. Um, so after I go up the tree and then I was coming back down and I was like, Sean's going to love this. Mm-hmm. She's going to be really impressed and did like a cool... Hang upside down by my knees. But I was wearing a nice sparkly skirt. So, like, what happened was that, like, (laughs) my skirt kept going to fall down. So I went to, like, adjust it so I could hold it properly, which meant that I let go of the branch. Which meant that I then just, like, (laughs) fell out of the tree, landed on my head, and then, like, my skirt fell down and I showed everyone my pants. (laughs) I bet Sean was really impressed. She was very kind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's why I don't climb trees as a 28-year-old person. Yeah, but you don't wear skirts. You'll be fucking fine up there. Mm. 
That's I feel like the, s- the skirt was partially to blame there, Cleo. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, there is actually a bit in Twilight where... Oh, he does climb up a tree, doesn't he? He pops Bella on his back and he says, Hold on tight, spider monkey. Mm, hot. This is very much like their first date. It's their first date, yeah. And then he like runs up a mountain Naruto style with her on his back and then like climb jumps up a tree. But they do a callback to it that I don't know if it's in the books, but it is in the fifth movie where after Bella gets her vampire powers, she does the same thing by herself. And when I yeah. watched that movie, I was like, oh, like, hell yes. Get it, girl. Like, <laughs> Edward Who? Empowerment to the max. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now we're going to go to a part of the show called Gaze of Future Past. Gaze of Future Past. Now, ordinarily, this is the bit where I would hand over to Ree to explain Gaze of Future Past. But this one's going to be Seto Kaiba voice. I know that nobody knows what I mean when I say that. (laughs) But it's important to me. Mm, A little different. And rather than arguing that a particular person, figure, whoever was gay and or trans, we're actually going to look at someone who has already been proven to be gay and or trans. We're going to look at a moment, I guess, that was very gay as well. I suppose we're going to look at gays of future past as it happens organically in the wild. As it happened in the past of 2008-9. What happens when a fictional character is made gay by cultural force as opposed to two idiots on a podcast saying, <laughs> what if what if Sully from Monsters, Inc. was a thembo or something? <laughs> Total thembo. <laughs> I think that any Twilight fans out there, any Twihards, will know what we're talking about here, which is the collective queer shipping of Alice and Bella. So do you want to just tell us a bit about who Alice is for the twice softs at home? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Alice is Edward's adoptive sister. So Edward's family are all kind of turned vampires from different moments in time, but they have like a found family. Um, So for all intents and purposes, Alice is Edward's sister. And she's, like, elfin, quite cute, Mm, very sweet. mm. Uh, She can see into the future in glimpses. She has a pretty gay haircut. Yeah, it's like the pixie cut with the bob dens. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, yeah, I guess in the absence of any actual queer characters, because this is a Mormon author, uh, everybody kind of latched on to to Alice being the stand-in for that. And there's so much Alice Bella fanfic out there like so Mm. much and when we see everybody we mean everybody there was a point even going strong into 2011 2012 Mm. where alice bella fix outnumbered alice edward fix oh yeah it was absolutely huge and it's really notable that in queer grown-ups now who Mm. were queer Twilight fans, 
If you are like a woman or a non-binary person, particularly an AFAB non-binary person, even if you didn't write fan fiction, you were there for Alice Bella. <laughs> yeah, I got compared to her quite a lot. No um, way! Yeah, I had like a girl come up to me on the school bus and was just like, oh my God, you remind me so much of Alice. Obviously, I was thrilled. <laughs> um, yeah but I, I don't know it kind of gives me the ick now not not the comparison to alice but more the alice bella thing in what sense in the sense that it just makes me feel a little bit sad that like we didn't have the representation that we needed we just sort of made best with what we had <laughs> yes yeah yeah i know what you mean i think i'm actually very susceptible to these sorts of things mm. like I, i'm <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole time we've been talking, I've realised that one of the OG gays of future pasts is J.K. Rowling, and now I'm like, not so different, are we? What? What do you mean? What do you mean is J.K. Rowling? Where she's like Dumbledore was gay. <laughs> <laughs> that is like just... she invented gays of future past. <laughs> that is just what we do, though, isn't it? <laughs> like if she hadn't said that, one hundred percent guarantee we would be on our shitty podcast one day, being like Dumbledore is Dumbledore a bender. Dumbledore was fucking gay. <laughs> <We've>... <laughs> oh my god, we would have done. We would. <laughs> we love. <laughs> anyway. I guess what I'm trying to say is that while the Dumbledore was always gay thing, it was kind of brought out as cynical right from the start. The Alice Bella thing, even though by all rights it should make me sad, it should kind of be representative of a demographic that had no representation to turn to. Like, the fan fiction was so warmly written and so nicely written, as well as, well mm. as you know, sometimes being sexy. I always feel very... I suppose I almost get lulled into a sense of it being canon because that was mm. canon for me. Yeah. You know, like, I, and when we did the Twilight Marathon, I was like, oh, Alice is gay. Like, Alice yeah. is gay and there is the potential for a love triangle with her and Bella. And I know that that's not it's in, not the, in text. the text. Yeah. But, like, my brain is just doing it so hard. And I don't know if that's because I basically kind of brainwashed myself at the time. Like, you know, I was an out bisexual when Twilight was happening. Mm. But I still never thought to say, where are the other bisexuals in media? Like, that didn't occur to me until well into my undergraduate university education. Mm. And... I guess at the time I was just like, oh, people are writing about this and that is how you make bisexuals in media. You know, besides a couple of times when I stayed up late and watched The L Word, that was how it happened. You made it happen. And so even though it is quite sad, I remember it as like the primary source of queer literature in my youth. No, yeah, maybe I've been, I've been too harsh. I guess a more productive way of framing it is that I'm glad that there's since mm, been mm. more representation I don't think there's an important distinction between J.K. Rowling retroactively announcing that Dumbledore is gay after the fact and then the fans creating Alice and Bella. Like... Yes, absolutely. J.K. Rowling has billions of pounds and the fans are broke. <laughs> yeah, that's the only difference. <laughs> that's the only difference. <laughs> if you want to make your money, you say an old wizard is gay. If you're mm -hmm. just having fun, then you make a vampire be lesbians. I don't... Have you seen... All of the, the tweets in response to the Secrets of oh, Dumbledore announcement. I, I cannot 
with this fucking movie. I know. I don't understand it. I didn't understand the last one either. And I feel like I don't understand it to the point that people think I am having them on. Because we keep joking. But I don't... Like, it's fu- the jokes are funny to me. People are being like, oh, Dumbledore's gonna do a hate crime. The wizards are gonna get sent to the Hague because it's set in World War Two now. And so, like... And they, I like... Think... Uh, they're, like, doing a... Sorry, carry, carry on, because I'm about to fucking go off. <laughs> I, I think... I... I think they might be two separate movies. What? But I'm not sure. Like, I think there's a Fantastic Beast sequel. Oh, no, 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 no. It is called Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. I thought they were going to be two separate films and they were doing like a Dumbledore spin-off. I just assumed they were doing like a huge money-making grab in the same way that like Marvel make a million products a year. That's the thing, at least with Marvel, like... Oh, actually, I'm not even going to open that can of words. <laughs> but that, that's the thing, like, this is what I was confused about earlier like Mm. in the group chat it's called fantastic beasts the secrets of dumbledore yeah yeah is it or is it not about fantastic beasts everyone's showing the thing online about it being set in world war ii that's fine but they were saying about like the wizards get involved with world war ii oh god yeah i don't know where that's going fantastic beasts (laughs) i don't know where that's going that doesn't sound very fantastic beasts to me jk i'm honestly like you know that meme of the like sick outside the window pane being like yes yes (laughs) like i really want it to happen because i know it's going to be bad and i just want it to fail so badly i am the opposite (laughs) of that i am zero percent sick over this i just want someone to do all a wellness check on Joanne before. Oh no, I'm I'm full sicko mode on this one. <laughs> Just what is it? Go- where are the fantastic? Where- <laughs> it's supposed to be about fantastic beasts. And they're gonna fight Hitler. No. <laughs> Wait. Honestly, oh. I don't know where it's going. I watched the first one in the cinemas before, you know, J.K. Rowling did a hate crime to dirty. my community um yeah. on multiple and i really don't remember anything about it i thought it was dire and i haven't seen any of the others and don't intend yeah. to and i will say that this is my official re on pronouns and virus statement that if you go and see that movie you are putting money into the pocket of jk rowling which she is using to fund anti-trans hate groups so just know that yeah don't go and see don't go and movie. see it yeah if you want to do an act of solidarity for trans people, for pronouns in bio, do not go and see this movie. For sure. Yeah. Also because Dumbledore <laughs> is going into the Third Reich, uh, <laughs> apparently. Well, no, because now you're making it sound rad. <laughs> Fuck! No. I, f- I feel like I've been like shot with a cosmic ray overnight and I've woken up in a dimension where like... Okay, no, this is a Harry Potter, ep- sorry, Boy Wizard episode now because... We've got, we strayed too far from Twilight. Let's go back okay, there. It cool. was warm and safe there. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just want to register. Okay, no, okay, one more point. One more point. <laughs> Everyone is saying... Yes. It would be rad mm. if Dumbledore was a Nazi or went to fight the Nazis or something. <laughs> And I don't I think they are saying that, but sure. Like, you just said it. 
I didn't say it'd be rad if Dumbledore was a fucking Nazi, did I? Yeah, I said Dumbledore is going to the Third Reich and you said you're making it sound rad. Because Do I presumed not... he was going there to fight him, not join him. Well, this is what I'm confused about because Yeah, not everyone... a fucking terrorist though, Chris. Everyone keeps saying that they're going to do wizard hate crimes <laughs> and i don't know if this is the plot or not i don't think anyone knows the plot yet <laughs> like did it because last time they did one of these movies dumbledore's boyfriend was like doesn't he hate humans or something yeah no he's a fascist exactly. a super super fascist exactly. Reed, please help me <laughs> i don't understand <laughs> Everyone is saying that the movie is going to be about wizards being fascists. And then when I say it would be a horrible idea to make a Harry Potter movie about wizards being fascists, everyone says to me, Cleo, that's crazy. The old woman's mind is clearly gone. I don't want to get too into the fucking politics of Harry Potter, but like the wizards are kind of fascist. Like that is in the text. Okay. (laughs) But... That's like a whole other episode. If you want to hear my hot takes on why the wizards of Harry Potter are all fascists, then subscribe to the Patreon, I guess. (laughs) We've been neglecting the Patreon, so we'll do like a little bonus episode at some point in the next couple of weeks where Rhi explains to me why the wizards are fascist and I cry because I... I, (laughs) All I want is a whimsical movie about fantastic beasts and apparently we have to deal with this now. (laughs) We've always had to deal with it. It's always been there. (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna I'm blue pilling out I'm blue pilling <laughs> I'm not taking this anymore it's, it's going on the Patreon <laughs> so Twilight which respects the classical unities and yes. uh, well actually I was gonna say doesn't go to the second world war but one of the vampires is a fucking confederate war <laughs> oh, veteran oh fucking hell yeah and, oh. that's worse <laughs> oof size maximum Oh, oh, Stephanie. For anyone that isn't aware, one of Edward's siblings, Edward's brother Jasper, it sort of is hinted at throughout the books that he is a survivor of the American Civil War. And then it's just kind of thrown in that he fought on the Confederate side. And then it's just kind of not really ever addressed again. And like, no one really brings it up. (laughs) It's really weird. Like, in the movies, I will say, they have him absolutely fabulously cast because they've got this fucking guy in. I can't tell you the actor's (laughs) name, obviously. But, like, Jasper's thing is that he's never really learned to control his bloodlust. And so they have got this guy in, and in every scene, he's just staring at Bella. He's so intense. Like, his fucking head is about to pop. (laughs) absolutely wild they do rightly cast him to be a guy with immensely bad vibes they're so off (laughs) he's just i'm not saying they put out a casting call being like (laughs) the most racist guy please come forward but that's the thing because he's not just racist he's old-timey racist yeah he's old-timey racist looking isn't he like he's a kind of racist that you rarely see anymore No, he does look God. like he fought in the war on the Confederate side. Yeah, 100%. But in the in the books, obviously, you don't really have this visual signifier. and It's not really addressed. <laughs> so you've just kind of got this mental disjunct where in all of the scenes with all of Edward's family, there's like vampire stuff and cool stuff. And if Alice is there, it's gay stuff. And then a, a little bit, the South <laughs> will rise again. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> 
it went completely over my head as a like British teen. I didn't really understand that till way later. It only struck me after because I didn't read the books. I don't think I actually read book <laughs> three at all, and it, I didn't read book. I thought four you and... were just ending the sentence there. Like I just don't think I read book. <laughs> <laughs> I started laughing. <laughs> Ray, my fucking my fucking problem of my entire life and like the fundamental source, like primary source of pain to me for the past <laughs> ten years has been that I read book. Yeah. If I could somehow push a magic button to have not read book, mm. then you know what I would, but I would just read Twilight again. So Yeah. <laughs> We what are. Is... N- oh, sorry. No, carry on. No, I was about to ask you the next question, but then I realised we never really wrapped up the case of future past bit. It got away with us a bit. Didn't well, it? I was going to say I think that <laughs> honestly, I think it's too late to get case of future past back. I think it's gone. Yeah, let it go. If you love something, let it go. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to wrap this up just by saying, if anyone can't visualise what we're saying, then there are two ways to do it. Hmm. You can either have been a gay teenager on the internet in the noughties, mm. or you can go down to your local retailer, purchase a DVD or Blu-ray of Twilight, <laughs> go home, pop that thing into the machine, and then watch it until the vampire baseball scene. Oh, I was just about to say that's my favourite scene. It's so, it's so good. good. Well, if you're saving that for your favourite scene, then we will uh, discuss that. I mean, let's just talk about our favourite scenes. Let's, in fact, why don't we segue? Okay. I'm, that, sorry, this is a mess of a transition. Oh my God, yeah, please stop. <laughs> Pop that thing in and watch until the vampire baseball scene. On which more? After the break. <laughs> showing your age by encouraging people to go and get a dvd and putting it in their dvd player i was trying to be ironic (laughs) oh okay i know about streaming services (laughs) i'm not having this actually because my partner is four years younger than me Mm. and loves dvds they cannot get enough of a little dvd i mean they also play records so i guess they just have a thing for like physical media yeah that's like that's part of Blythe's vibe you know Oh my god. Wait, is this because Blythe is young, so to them DVDs are vintage? My god, yeah, maybe. You should ask them. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh. No, four years isn't that, that much younger. Thank, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll cancel my ticket to Pedophile Island. <laughs> no, I feel like they were probably around when DVDs were a thing the first time. <laughs> <laughs> So we've been talking about how you might come to understand our appreciation for Alice. And as it so happens, we're about to talk about our favourite scenes in Twilight. And there is some Alice content. Rhea, I don't know if you'd like to lead. My favourite scene, this is a, a scene from the movies. It does happen in the books, but I think the movie really nails it. It is sometime in the first film when Bella has met the Cullens, the family climbs up a mountain in the middle of a thunderstorm and plays baseball. And the reason why they have to do it in the middle of the thunderstorm is because they're so impossibly strong and powerful that, like, they make 
loads of noise when they hit the ball and things like that and they're all using their superpowers but the movie does this to the soundtrack of supermassive black hole by muse it does doesn't it it does and i just remember seeing that in the cinema and being like this is what cinema is all about you know this is 2008 It, it peaked I just want to give like a shout out in general to the soundtrack for the first movie because it fucking bangs. It's really good. Go back and listen to it. It still holds up. Mm. I like really remember being in my twilight phase at the time um, and getting really into the soundtrack with one of my oldest childhood friends, Lauren. Shout out to Lauren because I know she does listen to the podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And yeah, we both just really fell in love with the soundtrack. And every now and then we'll like send each other songs from it to be like, oh my God, you remember this? (laughs) There was this wonderful moment a couple of years back where we went to see Paramore in uh, the O2 Arena. And it was great. They decided to play I Caught Myself, which is like a bonus track on the Twilight soundtrack like a really quite unknown song Wow! and Lauren and I were just so fucking thrilled and like barely anyone sang along because it's like quite a deep cut <laughs> so it just really felt like it was meant for me and Lauren to enjoy in this stadium full of thousands of people uh, and we really appreciate it so thanks Hayley Williams yeah big up Hayley Williams <laughs> listener of this podcast <laughs> the reason that I drew attention to Alice in this scene is because you know how in baseball they do like a funny little kick before they throw. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. She throws the ball and she like kicks her. Oh my she god, her leg, up, her in leg the air. up right in the air in like her <laughs> baseball outfit, and it's like a proper baseball outfit. And it's just, I remember seeing that in the cinema. <laughs> and at this point, I was old enough to already be like a little bit sexually awakened, and mm. was like, nope, there is more awakening to be done. <laughs> I remember watching that bit when we did the marathon and us all just like screaming and hooting and hollering at the screen. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually have two submissions for my favourite scene. Okay, go on. One is to also introduce my favourite character, who is Charlie, Bella's dad. Yes, yes. Charlie. Now, we're not going to talk to you too much about Charlie in this episode because we do have a sexy dads episode coming up in which Charlie is going to feature prominently. <laughs> but Bella moves to Forks, Washington after her parents have split up. She's living with her dad. Her mum is kind of cool and artsy, but not so responsible, not so good at looking after her. And she has a kind of like... I hate you, Dad. Like, Charlie is stifling her. He's not cool. He doesn't understand all of that really good YA shit that really Mm -hmm. makes you think, oh, my God, this book is about me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But the thing about Charlie is that not only is he hot, Mm -hmm. he's a fucking great dad. He's a great guy. Yeah. He's such a great guy. And even when his only daughter is like gallivanting around with the weird pale family who hang out around outside of town and like stop trucks with their bare hands and shit. And even when her hanging out with them expands to include the bunch of guys who live out in the woods and all get shirtless and smell like dog. (laughs) He just carries on like fixing her truck and making sure that she's eating and asking after her. her. And like he negotiates with her on having her boyfriend around, which bear in mind her boyfriend is literally using his vampire powers to watch her while she sleeps. And her boyfriend is also like 120. (laughs) 
He's 120. <laughs> and he just constantly treads the line between letting her have the romance she wants. Because mm-hmm. she is quite headstrong, ultimately. Like, she acts like a pushover, but she's not. Mm-hmm. And, like, looking after her. And he does. He, mm-hmm. he, he does. Anyway, my favourite scene is one with Charlie <laughs> in it. When I cannot tell you for the life of me which book it's in. I think it's book two because Bella and Edward are like definitely a thing, but they're not married yet. Two's the one where he disappears forever and then three's the one he comes back. Oh. Two's the one where he's like, I can't be with you and then like runs off to try and kill himself. And it's mainly like a Jacob book. Okay, it must be three then. Must be three then. Maybe it's even one. Anyway, the point is (laughs) her and Edward are a known thing and Charlie's like, sniffing around a bit mm-hmm. like he's genuinely trying to find out if Bella's okay but obviously he's also very protective he keeps like Edward is not super subtle about the fact that he's literally <laughs> monitoring the house yeah Bella is like trying to get him off her back and he's asking her these questions and at one point she's like oh my god dad I'm a virgin okay <laughs> and Charlie goes well I'm liking Edward more and more now <laughs> Yeah, I do remember that. And it's just, the the line read is fucking spectacular. Look it up on YouTube if you can. But also, it's just, like, Charlie fucking hates Edward to begin with. He still kind of hates Edward when it gets to their wedding. There's I quite think a it's sweet... justified. It's justified, like... It's fucking fully justified. Abs- yeah, for sure. Like, there's even quite a sweet camaraderie that emerges between Charlie and Jacob after Jacob gets pied off. But Charlie yeah. and Jacob, I guess because Charlie is friends with Jacob's dad. Anyway, you don't need the Twilight Deep lore, but it's fucking... <laughs> I just fucking love that scene. Yeah. Like, he's being a good dad. He's funny. And also, <laughs> he's like, well, at least this super-powered immortal who's stalking my daughter isn't also fucking (laughs) (laughs) a man's got to have standards oh my god yeah he just does so well to keep up even after it becomes readily apparent that (laughs) That she's now a vampire (laughs) that everyone is fucking magic as hell yeah 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 yeah. oh dear my other favourite scene of course it's the one that we discussed before this, where Edward Cullen lays his eggs on the beach. <laughs> we should give some context here. I don't, I don't think we need to give any context. It's after they have sex, and then, because it's spawning season, he runs outside to bury his eggs on the beach. He's, and he's burying them as fast as he can lay them. So this was a bit that we came up with during the marathon when I don't remember who said it, but someone said Edward Cullen. It took hold. It went the other way around, I think. Well, that's even worse. It was because after they bone, he vanishes (laughs) and like runs out onto the beach on his own. We were saying that he was like a turtle (laughs) laying his eggs. He's he's gone off to spawn (laughs) and he's trying to bury his eggs, but he's laying them too fast. (laughs) The eggs are all falling out of his arms. We got very swept up in this stupid bit and Beth and I were living together at the time. We went back to the flat and uh, our partners were like hanging out watching like a really good film. I think it was like Sorry to Bother You or something, you know, like proper <laughs> cinema and having like a nice time. Oh. And we turned up with like really strong, silly energy. 
where we had just like extended this bit on the entire walk home. And then we tried to convince the two of them that this was an actual scene that happens in the movies. And we almost had them. Like, they won't admit it, but we definitely almost had them. I genuinely think you did. Like, there was a point (laughs) when you were getting texts for confirmation being like, does that really happen? I didn't know that happened. The famous scene where Edward comes. Lays all of his eggs on the beach. He lays all of his eggs on the beach. If we have any artists out there, can someone draw us some fan art of this? I'll draw some Edward Cullen fan art and I'll put it on the Patreon. Why don't we make that the postcard? Oh my God. Yes. There you go. Our seven and ten pound subscribers. I can't remember what the levels are called on Patreon. You'll be receiving some Edward Cullen fan art. (laughs) Yep. As a special thank you for bearing with us over the past couple of months. If you want to see that shit, you know what you've got to do, buddy. (laughs) The next part of the show is Ally of the Week, where we talk about an ostensibly cis straight person who has done good things by the queer community. Who is our Ally of the Week this week, Re? Our Ally of the Week this week is the man himself, uh, our Pats, uh, Robert Pattinson. Why have we picked Robert Pattinson? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, we were doing so well. <laughs> oh, we had good reason. Oh, I can't we... remember. <laughs> the reason we picked Robert Patterson, partially because it, he seems like a really good guy. He seems like a good guy. And I, it was because at the time when Kristen Stewart like came out, I think he was just like a genuinely quite uh, supportive presence when the media were like really fucking hounding her about it. For sure, yeah. There was a period, and this kind of illustrates how insane Twilight Fever was. Yeah. That Kristen Stewart, who wasn't out at the time of filming, did an SNL. She did an amazing SNL skit, if you look at Kristen Stewart Totino's. Oh my God, the Totino skit. You have to watch it if you haven't watched it. I watch it about once a month, and it honestly, (laughs) full vibe restoral. Oh, Yeah. During her address on SNL, she said that Donald Trump had tweeted about her 11 times. Like, it was insane. Yeah, people were going fully ham on her. And quite understandably, it took... I don't want to, like, speculate on Kristen Stewart's, you know, personal life or interior journey. But there was definitely a sense in which she was getting an absolute shellacking around the same time that she was establishing herself as a queer presence. Mm-hmm. And he was always very supportive. He was always very kind, very nice. And he just seems like a good guy. Yeah, yeah, he does. There was an ulterior reason we mentioned Robert Patterson. Okay. And it was because we had to check if Robert Patterson was actually gay or mm-hmm. not before we did this. And then we said, we don't want to do the thing like we did back when we started out where we mention Elliot Page and then like he came out like Mm -hmm. literal days after we ran that episode. Oh yeah, so we're trying to summon the same thing for for our parts. Yeah, on the one hand, (laughs) it was like, oh my God, now we're like dead naming Elliot Page in the past. But on the other, if we do this, then Mm. maybe 
will like conjure our pats into the LGBT community. I think we have that power. I think we have that power. I'm trying not to think too hard about it because I suspect this might actually be a really weird thing that we're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've just got like a feeling in my gut that we're teetering on the edge of something fucked up. Something cancelable. <laughs> yeah, it feels cancelable. Anyway, Robert Patterson, thank you for being a stand-up guy. Yeah, genuinely good ally. Genuinely good ally to Kristen Stewart and therefore to us all. Mm-hmm. Also, there was that bit where you looked at Willem Dafoe's dick in the lighthouse. <laughs> and we thank you for that as well. Sounds pretty gay. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you say you found that like clickbait article about the lighthouse that was trying to make it seem way gayer than it was? Yeah, it was like a clickbait article about like, our Pats opens up about his like homo experiences on filming the lighthouse. And I was like, oh shit, him and Willem Dafoe got it on. And it turned out to just be about the scene where he was wanking. And I was like, oh, I really got sucked in by that clickbait. <laughs> it's such a like ambitious clickbait as well to be like, the lighthouse is like a sexcapades mm. movie. That movie's like, difficult. <laughs> that movie is so challenging. It's and the so idea difficult. of some raunchy action in the lighthouse. <laughs> yeah. It was troubling on many levels. Oh dear. You shouldn't have spilled your beans. <laughs> you shouldn't have spilled your beans. <laughs> All right. Anyway, thank you, Robert Patterson. You are our ally of the week. out of time but I did just want to talk before we go about some differences between the book of Twilight and the movie of Twilight. It's not that the movies are like bad adaptations or anything but there are some differences that go in various directions. I don't know if you agree Re, but my general ranking of them is that the first one is a flawed but brilliant and timeless movie with excellent direction. Oh yeah, I think it's, it's really well put together. I think the first one would be a better movie were it not struggling for the fact that it's based on Twilight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Catherine Hardwick, right? It's Catherine Hardwick, exactly. Yeah. The second one is the best actual movie, qua movie. Like it has the closest thing to plot story, character development, all that good shit. I didn't like it as a book, so I thought they did a great job to make it into an entertaining yes. film with what they were working with. Besides possibly film five, I think it's the one that is the most substantially better than the book. Yeah. Film three was dreadful, but then book three was also oh my dreadful. God. Yeah, Eclipse was absolutely garbage, yeah. And then they split book four into two films because that's what you do now. Yeah. Into Breaking Dawn part one and Breaking Dawn part two. And this is where the films start to get kind of funky with it. Mm -hmm. Because Breaking Dawn Part 1 <laughs> is 25% vampire sex romp, 75% Cronenbergian nightmare. Yeah, like actual horror. Yeah, like body horror. So, so graphic. Yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head what cert it got, but whatever it got was not enough. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier about how this is the bit where Bella's pregnant with the baby that's killing her from the inside. They really run with that in the film. And you just kind of slowly watch this woman waste away in front of you. 
Mm. And yeah, props to the makeup department. They did a really good job. It's extreme. It's extremely... Like, you think Dawn of the Dead was bad. This is some, like... It's, yeah, it's disturbing. And, like... It, yeah. And then there's the birth scene. So I might be remembering this wrong because I haven't gone back to the books. But the books are all from Bella's perspective. So you don't really see it. You're seeing it through Bella's eyes, right? And, like, she's not really conscious throughout a lot of it. And I, I just don't feel like it really dwells on it as much as the film I does. I mean, the book still kind of dwells on it. Like, Bella is conscious for the entire procedure. It's just Stephanie Meyer's language doesn't quite go to the same graphic lengths as the film does. Yeah, I think it, this is just a... Yeah, just kind of a difference in the medium. But in the... Yeah, in the film, there's just this, like, really graphic like birth scene where she's dying and i saw it in the cinema with a bunch of uni friends because it came out in our first year of uni and one of we had to like really keep an eye on one of the girls that was with us because we thought she was going to pass out like it was Mm. it was really intense (laughs) yeah like content warning gore but yeah the baby if it comes out of bella or rather the baby is coming out of bella Whatever way it pleases. Yes. And so they have to cut it out of her. But because it's of the vampire blood in the baby, the amniotic sac, and I shit you not, we are not <laughs> making a shred of this up, is hard as diamonds. Mm-hmm. So Edward has to cut it with his teeth. Oh, God. And her, like, bones are breaking while this is happening. Like, all of her bones are breaking. Like, her spine is being broken by the baby. You can hear it crunching. Like, her family are holding Bella down because she is conscious. And Edward rips her open with his mouth and removes the baby and then vampirizes her so that she doesn't (laughs) die. And this scene, they do not skip over anything. Fucking gnarly. Like, it's making me feel a bit, like, sweaty just thinking about it now. The only other, like, pregnancy horror that has ever got me in the same way is the, like, dream scene in Rosemary's Baby. I remember watching that and I'd forgotten how weird it was when we watched it for, like, a movie night and I felt a bit funny. Yeah, it was gross. Oh, another one for me is uh, Prometheus. Yeah. When she, like, gets into the, like, uh, medical chamber and has to, like, perform the, like, caesarean on herself to get the alien out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ick. Oh, it's messed up. Rosemary's Baby is about a satanic baby. It's a horror film. Like, is about horrible things that grow inside humans. It's Twilight. This is a young adult (laughs) romance. Yeah, when people that, like, haven't seen or read it think about Twilight, like, I don't think they really truly grasp this scene yeah (laughs) i think people don't grasp the range and part of that is because and i think it's important that we say this before we leave off this episode people love to shit on stuff that is made for young women yeah and there was a huge craze for dunking on people who were into twilight for fancying edward or fancying jacob or whatever you know whole blogs dedicated to shredding stephanie mayer's you know, like, writing style. I was absolutely susceptible to that as well. Like, I definitely went through a period in, like, I don't know, I guess my late teens, where, like, was definitely 
of the crowd that was like, oh my God, it's so stupid. I can't believe people like that. Exactly. That's the thing. Yeah. I think the worst part was when you started to buy into it. There was a blog that I followed religiously that was just excoriating these like, and this is not to say that there aren't dodgy bits in it you know like there's all edward has all sorts of stalker behavior like there's, there's some fucked up stuff it's a ya romance of course there's some fucked up stuff and stephanie mayer is racist as hell like legit. and stephanie mayer is super racist yeah she yeah. didn't want any black people in her movies and Catherine hardwick had to really fight for it <laughs> absolutely insane really she also appropriated the name and the missos of the quillute people oh yeah um yeah. who haven't seen a dime of it which by the way if you are thinking of throwing us some money and you'd like to throw it to a good cause, then they have their own fundraisers going at the moment for conservation efforts. Go check that out. It's absolutely not above critique, for sure. There was this sort of like rabid desire to shit on it because it meant shitting on things that teenage girls liked. Yeah, like the idea that Twilight is pitched at young women and if you like Twilight, you are dumb. You, know, you yeah. don't know what good writing is. It even spread into this weird thing of like, if you like Twilight, then you must have a really toxic idea of romance or something. Like, sure, mm-hmm. those kinds of stereotypes can engender mm-hmm. toxic ideas of of love and sexuality in young people. But it became this thing that like liking Twilight was a mark of being an abuser or something. Like, yeah. The, the call-outs were insane and it all stemmed from yeah, this quite misogynist origin point that then got assimilated into the culture all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Anyway, the pregnancy scene was fucking super fucked up, though. It was super (laughs) fucked up, though. How did I get on the young women tangent? I was saying something... I was saying a point that I've not finished. Oh, God. Um, When when are you not? (laughs) That is... You're you're not wrong. (laughs) That's what I was saying. Anyway, yes, people like to shit on Twilight. And I think that includes the fact that just an insane amount of stuff goes on in Mm. Twilight. Like, there's an angle in which it's, you know, you shouldn't judge it because of who it's written for. There's also an angle where it's like, even if you weren't judging it, I could not possibly prepare you for some of the mad shit that happens in these books. Yeah, yeah. On which... The movie adaptation of the second half of book four, Breaking Mm -hmm. Dawn Part Two, I think perfectly encapsulates Twilight's commitment to mad shit. Yeah, yeah. In the final scene. Yeah, the fight scene. Yes. Tell us about the fight scene and its (sighs) relation to the books. In the movies, there's this like fucking cracking battle scene where like the two warring factions meet on like this fucking iced over lake obviously they've all they've all got like special powers right like each vampire has its own thing that makes them unique so yeah you have like the cullens and all their family and their friends that they've painstakingly tried to gather to defend bella and her daughter versus the like crusty old sort of vatican old school vampires who are trying to like crush this new version of family and this like amazing battle ensues everyone fucking dies and it's like really gnarly really great and then it does that thing which like sounds really corny when i'm saying it as in like it was all a dream but because alice can see into the future it kind of like snaps to alice and we realize that it's all been like a vision of the future to come 
And then it, the scene is resolved in the way it is in the books, where it's kind of like a negotiation of sorts. So they manage to very delicately maintain the peace to ensure that doesn't happen. But I think that the film actually does a great job there of kind of having its cake and eating it, where you yes. get to see the epic battle and that's kind of what you want to see. And you want to kind of want to see everyone fucking die. And like, it's all just like kicking off and explosions and stuff. But actually it is resolved in a peaceful way and you kind of get both endings. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a really neat way of keeping like all of the action in the movies and keeping people entertained. 100%. I also feel like just that bonkers energy yeah. is like a great commitment to yeah. the way that Twilight is kind of simultaneously very pedestrian but also with moments of pure insanity <laughs> like this is a, you must watch this scene one day you must go out and watch this scene like there are 13 consecutive decapitations yeah there is a bit where Kristen Stewart and Robert Patterson backflip onto Michael Sheen to pull his head off as a team. Oh, Michael Sheen's performance in these movies is absolutely top tier. He does a fucking great job. He is absolutely chewing his way doing, through the yeah, scenery. You can tell he's having lots of fun. Yeah, he plays the leader of like the big bad vampires. And honestly, he is just mincing his he's... way through every scene he's in. <laughs> So on that, decapitations and gory birth, Mm. we should probably wrap up. Yes, let's. I honestly can't stress enough how much of a difference Twilight made to us and to so many people Mm -hmm. out there. So I really hope we've managed to convey some of that in this episode. If you aren't really like au fait with Twilight, then I can't promise that going out there and picking up the books will connect you to it i think the zeitgeist might have passed but honestly do give the movies a go yeah i would agree with that if you're Mm. if we've kind of sold you a little bit then pick up the first movie and let us know what you think and if you were one of the fold but you've not really thought about it for a while then my dude load up the fan fiction website of your choice (laughs) and smash in alice x bella (laughs) yeah chef's kiss (laughs) Well, as always, please do come check us out on Twitter. We're at PronounceCast and we always love to hear suggestions from our listeners. We can get those on Twitter or Instagram, which is also at PronounceCast or PronounceCast at gmail.com. And last but very much not least, if you would like to sling us a little cash for what we do, and I promise you, you will receive some Robert Patterson egg-laying art, (laughs) then please do go to patreon.com forward slash pronouns cast and we'll see about sorting that out for you. And if you don't have any spare dollar kicking around, fair enough, who does? Uh, It would also really help us out if you could leave us a review on Apple. um, Or I guess you can't really do reviews on Spotify, can you? Any podcast platform where you can leave a review, that would really help us out. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Twihards. Thank you, Twihards. (laughs) And as always, keep those pronouns in the bio. Put the pronouns in the bio. Keep them where I can see them. Put them in the bio. (laughs)